Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to this new episode of Sotorial Talks. Today we have the extreme pleasure to be in Dallas, Texas. That's my first time in Texas ever. And God knows how with Sonia we've been traveling around the world, but we never, never took the time to come and visit our dear friend Kirby Allison in Dallas, Texas. And today we made it happen. He made it happen, and we are at Kirby's place in Dallas, Texas, and we are so happy to be here yeah. with you, my friend. Thank well, you for receiving us. Yeah, well, Hugo, it's been too long. Yes. Of course, uh, dear close friend of mine. Yes. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, for the cameras, I must say, you know, I, I think so fondly of you because my first time to Paris uh, <laughs> was with you. You uh, so graciously hosted my wife and I. Yes. And uh, you're an incredible host. And I don't think that there is anyone that knows Paris better than you. Yes. Uh, well. And you showed us <laughs> what was an incredible time. I think I fell in love with Paris because of the time we had together. Well, that's very <laughs> kind of you. But what I showed you, if I remember well, was kind of the underground <laughs> yes, Paris. it was. The real Paris. Yeah. It was is... not the Paris I was expecting. <laughs> that's for <laughs> sure. It's not the Paris for tourists. I remember we were... We've been in a jazz club, very famous jazz club called the Caveau des Oubliettes, yeah. and then this very famous cabaret called Les Trois Maillets, where you have a lot. You have a grand orchestra with several artists and everybody's dancing on the table. I'm glad that you remember yeah. that because this is 12 years ago. I thought I was already. on a different planet. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. somehow you were. <laughs> so today, uh, I wanted to have this opportunity to spend a moment with Kirby. So you see, we are very stressed here. We have a good cigar, Cuban cigar. We have a good um, bourbon. scotch, yeah. you know, oh, bourbon, bourbon. sorry, of course, yeah. we're in America. And good company, good cigar, uh, good alcohols, what else, yeah, what honestly, else yeah. in the world? Mm. So anyway, I wanted, um, I, would, I was about to say, I wanted to introduce you to Kirby Allison, but I suppose that if you follow Sartorial Talks, many of you know this man because he became, over the years, uh, I know him, so he was in, in his 20s, uh, back in the years, and he did a tremendous job. And all of a sudden, his uh, store that was called the Anger Project at the beginning, but we're going to get back to this in, in a moment. Now, it has his name. He created from the ground up a real brand, and his YouTube channel had become almost the cornerstone of what we have to learn about sartorial uh, um, experience and culture in the world. So, mm -hmm. first of all, Kirby, I saw you starting with your wife, yeah. and I know you did the job. You put your hands in the engine. I remember you exhibiting a few hangers on some trade shows, and you really did something from the top. And I really want to say that uh, I'm very, I have a lot of admiration for what you achieved. Yeah. Well, thank you, uh, Hugo, for your kind words. Uh, and of course, I wouldn't be where I am today if it weren't for great friends like yourself. Yes. Uh, and the support that, uh, that you and so many others have, have offered. Uh, but it's been a journey. Yes. Uh, it's a been a great journey. journey. Uh, and I have to say it's a journey that I'm still continuing to enjoy to this day. Yes. I know that. So let's go back for the people. So if you, of course, if you know Kirby Allison, you know his YouTube channel, you know his web store where you can find extremely good products, shoe cares, but not only shoe care, hangers, ties, accessories, fantastic quality, because I know that Kirby is obsessed with quality. But for those who may not know, maybe there are some here looking at this show. Uh, it's interesting. So first of all, go to Kirby Allison on YouTube, you have to subscribe to this channel because it's one of the most interesting out there. 
But I would like you to tell a little bit your story, because it's an interesting story of a young man uh, just out of college, mm -hmm. right, uh, who was interested in tailoring, in traditions, in quality, and how all of us, I remember your first claim, and I think this guy is clever. I remember you saying 12 years ago, you are tailoring, you tailor your suits, why don't you tailor your hangers? Yeah. And you were the first, to my knowledge, uh, to uh, offer different width yeah. of, of hanger. You mm -hmm. still do this, I suppose. Yeah. That. But tell us a bit the story. What is behind this? How did you how did everything start? What was the genesis of this yeah. idea? Yeah. You tailor your clothes, now tailor your hangers. Yes. It seemed so simple back then. It is very you simple. Um, but uh, yeah, thank you, Hugo. Um, I mean, just like you, I think that uh, since before we found ourselves where we are now, mm -hmm. uh, there was a certain kind of innate appreciation of quality of craftsmanship and of tradition. And that was something that I think as a as just a young adolescent boy that was somehow there, right? Yes. Um, and it all started actually back in college, right? So I went to the University of Texas at Austin. And uh, one of the things that uh, UT Austin required as part of my degree program was art history. Art history at a university like at UT was basically you and 500 other students in an auditorium. It's like massive. Learning about the history of art since the beginning of time. Okay. You know, and nothing sounded more boring to me than <laughs> sitting in an auditorium of 500 kids, you know, uh, listening to a professor lecture of the history of art since the beginning of time. So I kind of put this credit off, you know, for a long time. And I think it was my last semester of college. Mm -hmm. um, I needed to take this and my college counselor at that time knew that I was fascinated with menswear. Yeah. And she suggested that I approach a professor in the Department of Theater and Arts oh, wow. who taught a graduate level course in costume design in tailoring. You did this. And so, I said, well, that sounds interesting. Yeah. And so there I was, uh, you know, a business student, you know, walking, you know, clear across campus to the Department of Theater and Arts and to this professor, Jim Glavin's office. And I you think remember I, the name of the yes, professor? Yes, absolutely. What's his name? Jim Glavin. Okay. And I've never felt more like a fish out of water than I was in, mm. that, in that professor's office. And I think that he was probably even more surprised than I was that I was there. Uh, uh, kind of uh, lobbying him to allow me to substitute what was his most difficult class that all of the costume design students, you know, lamented taking, which was a course in tailoring. Okay. And so I'll never forget this. He says, well, I mean, Where are you know, year? What, what year are you this? Well, this would have been, you know, I graduated college in 2005. So okay. it would have been 2005. And I'll never forget, he says, well, uh, you know, do you have any experience sewing and making garments? I said, no. <laughs> he says, well, um, you know, do you know how to use a sewing machine? I said, nope, I've never used one. He says, well, I mean, have you even ever sewn a button on a shirt before? <laughs> and I said, no. Okay. And he says, well, why, I mean, why the heck do you want to take this class? I mean, this is the most difficult one of the entire graduate program. And I think he, you know, finally figured out I was so crazy, you yep. know, that he couldn't say no. And so he said, okay, I'll allow you to do this with no expectation that I would actually do anything other than just observe. 
Uh, And in this course, which to this day, I I will still claim to be the most difficult class I took in all of college. Yes. I hand tailored my own suit jacket from a bolt of fabric. Wow. Uh, And it was an incredible experience that gave me such a... You did the whole jacket. The whole jacket. The patterns. The cutting. The the cutting, the pick stitching, you know, everything. Do you still have this jacket? I do. I should should grab it to you. I have it here. I'll show it to you. And... um, Another funny story is he said, well, during the summer, he said, well, go buy a bolt of fabric, right? Okay. So I went to New York, go to one of these cloth merchants, yes. and what do I do? I buy a bolt of fabric of something that I liked. Well, it was a Prince of Wales. Wow. Incredibly complex pattern. I bring it back, and he says... Specifically to a line. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. It's, and it's he was like, you know, he was like, oh, my gosh, like, what were you thinking? Like, you should have bought a navy cloth, but you're <laughs> going to have to match the pattern. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it was a function of my passion, but also my naivete at the time. Okay. And uh, I hand-tailored it. And it taught me, it, it gave me a profound and very real appreciation for what goes in to the creation of a bespoke garment. And then from this, you had the idea? Well, no. So no? then what happens is I take all my graduation money. Yes. And I buy my first custom suit. Wow. Uh, and it comes on a plastic hanger <laughs> that doesn't fit. And this was the genesis uh, for what at that time was the hanger project. And I, I tried to come up with a clever name. Yes. Right. Gentlemen's hangers, this, that, or the other. Yeah. Uh, and my roommate at the time was, so why don't you just call it what you've been calling it, which is the hanger project. Mm-hmm. Well, so I still, I still don't see the, yeah. Explain to us now. Yeah. From a student. Yeah. On the sewing class. Yeah. To the hangers. You're right. So I, it's I, just, I missed it's a jump. I missed an important part. So I take all my money. I invest in this, you know, custom suit. It comes on this, you know, really crummy plastic hanger, which in some ways was offensive, right? Here is someone that, you know, it me, is. I spent all this money. Yeah. But more than that, someone spent all this time to make this suit. Yeah. And it's a pla- It's like taking a Picasso or a Monet to Michael's to be framed, yeah. right? It just seemed, you know, incongruent. So then I start my first job. I'm doing banking, right, and a bankruptcy group. 2005, 2006. <clears throat> And nobody's going bankrupt, right? Okay. So there was nothing for me to do. So what do you do? You're at work. You're bored. You know, I'm on the internet. Yeah. And I'm uh, on Ask Andy About Clothes, Ask which was Andy this. Ask Andy About Clothes. You know, we this, have to say something yeah. about that because maybe just a few of you remember this founding forum in the late 1990s. Yeah. Uh, I don't know his name. Andy. Andy Gilstress. Gilstress, yeah. yeah. And I remember... Myself, in I would say 2003, four, I was literally spending oh, hours, hours yeah. on this. There was the infancy of the internet. Mm. And Ask Andy about clothes is probably, we have to pay tribute to mm. him because this man was a pioneer. And then after you had the suitable wardrobe and the London Lounge and yeah. the Style Forum and then us yeah. and then Simon in, in England, etc. But he was et the first. Yeah, he was the first. Yeah. And, and somebody told me uh, in marketing, you can, you can be the best sometimes and the number two sometimes, but when you are the first, it's forever. And this is, we have to pay credit to this yeah. man because I've never, did you meet him? Oh, yeah. Andy became oh, yeah. a good I've friend. I've never met him. I flew to California. We almost, I mean, we looked into buying his business, you know, at one point. Oh, wow. And um, oh. We, we passed anyway, on the opportunity. Anyway, let's continue about, let's, uh, we, are, we are touching yeah. now the hangers. The hangers. But yeah. so, so here I am in my first job. And at this time, right, and I'm spending my time on Ask Andy. 
and I start complaining about this plastic hanger, right? So it's a simple question. It's like, I got this suit. Yeah. I spent all this money. Uh, it's on a plastic hanger. Where can I get a high-quality wooden hanger? Yeah. And it was like an it was like a you know a dog pile of yes. people jumping on this thread, talking about how difficult it is and how you need what you need to do is go beg your Neiman Marcus sales representative and if you're lucky he'll give you a few extra. Yeah. And at that moment it kind of dawned on me it was like, you know what didn't it dawn on me really but it was like here is Ask Andy yeah. right. At that time was the most significant community of clothing aficionados in the world. Yes. I mean, these people scoured the earth for the best of the best. They had their suits made in Naples, their shirts made in Paris, their shoes made in London. Yes. There was no limit to mm -hmm. these guys. And they couldn't find high-quality wooden suit hangers. And so around that time on Ask Andy, this uh, concept of group buys Kind yeah, of now we call, we call it group MTOs. Yeah, group MTOs. But yeah. it was like, you know, someone would throw up an idea, a bunch of people would subscribe, they'd kind of collect the money and then go and have it made. So I basically said to the group, I said, look, you know, clearly there aren't any high quality wooden hangers out there, otherwise you would know where they are. Yeah. I said, I'll, I've got time. I'll go find someone to make these hangers for us, but I don't have any money. You know, I'm a poor kid out of college. <laughs> and so you guys are going to have to prepay for these. And that was kind of the genesis for the hanger project. I mean, it oh, was wow. literally just in lowercase letters, the hanger project. And so I threw up a website that I coded in notepad. Yes. I took payments via PayPal. Thank you, Elon Musk. <laughs> yes. uh, and I kind of aggregated these orders together, closed it off, found someone to make the hangers for us. Right. And I thought that was it. I remember the very beginning of yeah. that. And so we delivered the hangers. Yes. And then everyone at that point says, wow, this guy's not a fraud. They're really nice hangers. Can we do it again? Yes. So we did it again. And then we did it again. And it was about the third time around that I said, you know what? Like, there's a going concern here. So I invested in some inventory. Okay. You know, with a credit card. Of course. I found someone to make a website out of Guatemala <laughs> and someone in Michigan to basically drop ship these hangers. And it just was a little side gig. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, life changing. Uh, in 2007, I was dating my wife and... Um, Bianca, and we uh, decide, I'm jumping forward, but, you know, so Andy, right, we talked about Andy. Yes. So Andy, very supportive. And so he sent me his list of PR contacts. Oh, wow. Right. And so I started just kind of like randomly mailing hangers to these people on his list. And one of the hangers uh, uh, ended up in the hands of uh, a journalist by the name of, of Lauren. I can't remember her last name. Who got this hanger was like, what am I going to do with this? Threw it in a closet. Four weeks later, she got an assignment by the Wall Street Journal to write an article called The Catalog Critic. Wow. And the whole premise of The Catalog Critic is you pick something, a product, and then you secret shop it from a bunch of different people, and then you go find an expert to rate them. Okay. And she said, well, what a great idea. I've never thought Put about this. On, Let's on, do it on hangers. Let's do it on hangers, right? Because I'd Wall center Journal. Yeah, in the Wall Street Journal. And so she calls us up, you know, and says, uh, you know, I'm writing this article, asks us some questions. And it just kept on getting delayed and delayed and delayed. And so finally, I think at some point I'd given up that it was ever going to be published. Well, Bianca and I, we take this trip to Brazil over Thanksgiving, right? December 7th or November 17th, we land in, you know, Rio de Janeiro or San mm -hmm. Paulo or wherever. And the article had published. And I think in 24 hours, we sold out of all of our hangers. Of course. 
That's a crazy and, story. Um, it totally changed my life. The web, I didn't even have a phone number, right? We had no inventory controls. <laughs> so not only did we sell out, but we continued to sell hangers that I didn't have. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was really what opened up the opportunity for me to quit and kind of do it full time. Wow. That's a beautiful story. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I just realized now that all the people in our little community, the few um, sartorial preachers that are out there, that is to say yourself, myself, and then let's say probably on the, yeah, on the Less than five, yeah. Yeah, five more in the world. We all started uh, somehow the same manner. Because me, when I started Parisian Gentleman in 2009, mm -hmm. January 2009, I was a successful producer, yeah, producer film producer. Yeah. You know, I was, you know, my life was pretty much done. I had my office on the Champs-Élysées. Uh, sometime I was making up to 200 uh, um, uh, salaries, you know, so that was big. And then, you know, during the night I was, I was interested in tailoring, but I couldn't find anything on the subject. So I said, well, it's just like you for English. Especially in French. Well, yeah. I said, well, uh, if nobody's doing it, I'm going to do it, but as a diary. Yeah. It was my diary. Yeah. I was just sharing with others my experience at Chiffonelli and at Charvet and at Pierre Corte and Berluti. And I remember the first night, my first article, the first night, um, we have a saying in France, he said, we say, uh, night ideas rarely see breakfast. <laughs> we say that in France, not because we drunk, it's because, you know, at night you are in a special mood. Yeah. And then you write and you have the impression you are Gustave Flaubert or Victor Hugo immediately, but yeah. you're not. Yeah. And, uh, but at the end, I said, oh, I'm going to see in the morning. And so I went on WordPress. You remember WordPress? And I just put Parisian gentleman, like I would have, I could have put, I don't know, like uh, dresswell.com. But yeah. I did came like to my mind, yeah. Parisian gentleman. And I never thought that people will associate this to my person. Yeah. It was totally uh, by chance. Yeah. And then in the morning, guess what? I had 17 readers, one seven. <laughs> and I was... Astounded. Oh my gosh. I said, is it? Can you believe that? That 17 yeah. people in the world discovered this obscure blog yeah. with one article? Was the first article in French or English? It was in French. Yeah. And then I started to translate in English. And then when Sonia came into my life in 2011, of course, that we developed English a lot. But anyway, to come back to what I was saying, it's the same thing as you on another subject is that I said, well, that, there's something here. And then I yeah. started to write randomly, but often. Yeah. And then a few months later, I was typing progre a fast progressing blog, the fastest progressing blog. And then I was number one. Amazing. Said, what? Yeah. Uh, I was number one in style and fashion, but yeah. still, I was the fastest progressing blog on WordPress worldwide. Yeah. 17 and, to 35. And, yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> and so I said, and so it's the same as you. Yeah. I said, well, there's something here. We have to do something. Nobody is doing it. Simon Crompton was just starting in the UK. We started pretty much at one Same month time. difference, yeah. but with another approach, very British. Yeah, I wanted to be more French and yeah. Italian. So anyway, that's the story. So what I take away from that, Kirby, is that first of all, we had the passion and the attraction to that. But secondly, we both found some kind of vacuum. Yeah, There was a vacuum. So now, 
I remember you at the beginning, the hunger project. I remember, uh, I tried to introduce you to Chief Smalto. Of the to Smalto. Yes, I remember <laughs> driving around in your smart car, <laughs> you know, right. in Paris, as That's you were taking me around for introductions. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's a long story. And so, after that, so Hunger Project started to, and then quite quickly after, you became an important actor in shoe care. Yeah. Is that right? Is yeah. It was immediately after? Well, I wish it was immediate. Uh, yeah. You know, I joke that, you know, a rational person doesn't become an entrepreneur. They do something else. Okay. Right? Yeah, so course, had yeah. I been really rational about my business, I would have done it totally different. You know, but we started with hangers. Yes. And then we went to garment care. So we had garment bags, garment brushes, yes. men's hangers, women's hangers. Yes. Uh, and then at the suggestion of a customer, right, um, you know, we started carrying Saphir shoe polish. Okay. And, you know, that's really, I think, one of the most pivotal moments in the entire business was the shoe care. Yeah. And not just the shoe care, right? Because the product's a product, right? We were the first probably in the United States to really carry it. Yeah. But there were two things that really... Um, a French brand, of yeah, A French brand, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, That's, I mean... We have to say this because it's yeah. very important. Well, it's a, it is important because in the United States, you know, uh, the narrative of shoe care is a uh, tin of kiwi wax polish. Okay. That's it. Yeah. That is as sophisticated as the narrative of shoe care was. Mm -hmm. You compare that to Saphir, which at that time had existed for, what, 100 years? You know, yes. Almost. Yes. Uh, that had this incredibly well-developed, you know, uh, philosophy uh, of care towards shoes. And uh, it had a really complicated, really wide portfolio of products. And so, you know, the two things that kind of made the difference, first was... I traveled to France to go visit the factory and meet with the owner. And yes. that's what educated me about the rich and incredible, uh, you know, narrative of shoe care that existed in France. Mm -hmm. Taught me how to use these products. Uh, and then second, I said, you know what, there's no way I'm going to be able to sell these products to Americans who all they know is Kiwi, you mean, you Kiwi shoe polish. Understand. Yeah, they won't. Like, I mean, I, I can't sell like 15 products to yeah. an American in shoe care, whenever they're only used to using one. Yes, the one they with, found in, yeah, at Walmart. At Walmart, or whatever. Yeah. without educating them. Mm -hmm. And so we started by doing written shoe care tutorials. Yes. And we were the first on the internet. I remember. You know, to write a shoe care tutorial on how to shine your shoes. Yes. And so that took off, and that's what allowed us to sell so much Saphir shoe polish. And then ultimately, you know, after, you know, I mean, my wife had been urging me to do this for years because she has a background in television. But finally, I said, you know what, we need to start doing some videos. Yes. And so our videos started at this desk, you yeah. know, right, like that exact desk right yeah. across from us in an old office, but looked just like that, uh, filming videos on how to shine your shoes. Yes. And just like you with the Parisian gentleman, yes. astounded at 17 your readers. Yes. We published these videos, and I was just astounded that a thousand people would watch a video. Yes, me too. Um, and that's how it evolved. And I think one of the things that's really common about both of our businesses is that, mm -hmm. you know, ultimately they evolved out of us, of who we are. Yes. Right? And our own authentic personal interests. Mm -hmm. We didn't have business plans. You know, we well, didn't. Well, that's the less we can say, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Because I remember. Uh, in two, I'm sorry. I don't want to say that there's two old soldiers speaking you, about. You that, may have you know, had a business plan. I didn't. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is important because that's um, first of all is the first time we have this opportunity to browse our memories. And well, we've got years. Memories. I mean, we've got to catch up on a decade. Exactly, you know? exactly. But it was the same 
for us, when uh, we started uh, Parisian Gentlemen, it was exactly the same uh, thing, is that we were feeling, we had this impression we were going to feel a vacuum. Yeah. And on top of that, I remember uh, when Sonia, my wife, uh, entered my life, I mean, entered my life by storm, literally in 2011. <laughs> uh, we, we married very quickly and everything. We started, and we said, okay, we're going to attack. We're going to um, go to the American market and the English speaking stuff. So we developed that. And I remember at that time, I said, okay, we had like, I don't know, 50,000 followers on Facebook. Instagram was not even invented. Which were large numbers back then. Yeah, it was large numbers. <laughs> and uh, whatever, probably a community of 100,000 people. And I said, I can't believe we have to do something with this. And when I said, okay, to everybody, I sell all my companies. I sell everything I want. That's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Everybody was asking me, do you have a business plan? Yeah. And I said, a what? I said, a business plan. Well, I said, I remember saying to one guy, I said, if you have a business plan in 2009 on the internet, it means you don't understand what the internet is. (laughs) Because if you are um, able to forecast what's going to happen, we we still don't know exactly what's going to happen with the metaverse, with this new uh, artificial intelligence that was released a few days before. So we don't know. So you learn while you walk. And this is exactly what we did. And we didn't know what we're going to do. And I remember even big brands, big, big brands, among the biggest. Mm -hmm. You know, in France, we have big luxury group. They were laughing at me. To say, ah, oh, you're never going to make one penny with a blog. You're never going to make... Well, we can say uh, since 2011 with Sonia, we only do this. We have no side job. We don't sell anything. And we make a very decent living, just speaking of adding beauty in people's life, yeah. which is a fantastic yeah. journey. So we are uh, shoe care. Yeah. And then we maybe skip to the next big step. Because me, I was so used to the hunger project. And one day, all of a sudden, I saw KirbyAllison.com. So you decided to create your own brand. Yeah. And this is a great example of kind of like, you know, what comes first, the cart or the horse, Mm. right? And so, you know, for whatever reason, whenever I created the YouTube channel, I created it under the name Kirby Allison. Yeah. Right? And at, at a certain point, you know, the YouTube channel was really eclipsing Hanger project, yeah. right? And people would say, well, the hanger project, you do so much more than hangers. Yeah. How do you continue to call it the hanger project? And so, you know, that, talk about one of the most difficult decisions that took me too long to make yes. was, you know, transitioning from hanger project to Kirby Allison. But as I, you know, at that point had been doing it for 12 or 13 years, yeah. right? And, you know, at that point I probably had three children, right? And I was yes. looking to, you know what, like this is something that, I want to continue to build on for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, what is the platform that's going to allow me to do that? And uh, Kirby Allison, you know, as, as truly hesitant and reticent as I was to call it that because it felt so conceited and like self-centered. You know, I, I was like, it, it did not come natural. It came at a lot of uh, external kind of pushing to finally make that jump. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of, I was like, well, what am I going to say? You know, uh, hi, I'm Kirby Allison of Kirby Allison. Like it felt ridiculous, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but finally, at, at 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 some good advice, and I had some you know 
just incredible mentors that the Lord kind of put in my life to kind of help guide me. Yeah. Uh, we made that jump and, you know, we're not, you know, we'll never arrive, right? Nope. I mean, it's a nope. journey. And so, you know, I just try to continue to do what it is I love, what yes. it is I'm passionate about. Yeah. And, you know, I feel fortunate that we've kind of been able to distill that into quality craftsmanship and tradition. What is yes. it that I love? Yes. And what is it that I'm passionate about? Yeah. It's quality craftsmanship and tradition for the first 15 years that's been in menswear. Yep. Uh, but one of the things that I love about that as a uh, platform is that quality craftsmanship and tradition can be found anywhere. Yes. So as I look to the future, right, I really look forward to kind of uh, to exploring that everywhere. Yes. I mean, not everywhere, but, you know, in other places. And that's yes, what yes, I think yes. Yes. Uh, is fun, and that's what's exciting. And I love people. Mm -hmm. I love meeting people. Yes. Uh, I love learning yeah. uh, about these things. And so the YouTube channel uh, really has been an incredible vehicle to allow me to do what it is that I'm passionate about. Yeah. That's More so point. than the Hangar Project yeah. or, or the online store. Yeah, this is a fantastic uh, I have to congratulate you because... With Sonia, we are, if we mix our two channels, we are around 250, a uh, quarter million. You are at 600,000, so um, he's much bigger than us now. We, we don't have this exactly the same public, but we can say now that together we're close to a million. Yeah. Well, that's a lot of people. Yeah. But it's, it's something that makes me tick always. I, I said, because I remember at the beginning, I was impressed with 17 readers. Yeah. Because I said, how can in the world <laughs> some people will, will, will be interested by my words, you know, about my ties and my shirt? I had the same problem yeah. as you. I said, I'm speaking about myself. Yeah. I'm speaking about my experience. But, you know, little by little, and actually it boomed quite quickly. And the point is that, and that will be my um, second question uh, to you, um, Kirby, for you. It's that how do you explain that all of a sudden, well, it took us a good decade, but it came quite fast for you and quite kind of fast for us too. We were able to gather very quickly a very solid fan base or follower base or whatever you call this. And, um, and, in, in, and, and it was also, it was a big surprise for Sonia and me. I said, yeah. how can we gather hundreds of thousands of people, mm -hmm. sometimes millions of people a month on yeah. our videos? How can that be? How do you explain this? Because when we look outside, with Sonia, we play a game all the time. I was um, doing, go, going to a national uh, TV show in France, and on the way in the taxi, we were trying to count the number of leather shoes we would see in the streets. Yeah. We saw probably three or four yeah. out of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of sneakers and we discovered that so maybe four people were wearing leather shoes. That was really insane. So how can it be that people like us, of course, in the vast ocean of YouTube, yeah. one million if we com combine everything we do together, it's nothing. Yeah. But at the same time, it is something. Why? Because your community and our community are very sincere, very loyal people and very passionate. Yeah. How do you explain, can we speak about a revival yeah. of what we do, or is it just our own fantasy because we are so much inside this world that yeah. we see 
uh, progress is everywhere, but we don't really see it in the street. Can we speak, in your opinion, of a revival for well-crafted shoes and a buy less but buy better? Yeah. Uh, you That's know, a difficult question. It's a difficult question. But, and I think there's so many layers to that question. I mean, one, the Internet. I mean, my business, The Hanger Project, never would have existed if it were not for the Internet. Yeah, which is because, a paradox. Yeah. Because, because the digital world yeah. brought us back to tradition. Yeah, it did. This is an incredible paradox. I think we should yeah. talk about this more. Uh, I mean, you know, my business, if it had to be a brick and mortar, couldn't have existed even in a city like London, New York, or Paris. Yes. Because there's not enough people in London, New York, or Paris that care about hangers, <laughs> you know, yeah. at that time, or shoe polish uh, to support a business, right? Yeah. No one would have ever earned a living doing that, right? I exactly. Mean, um, and so if it weren't for the internet to allow us to aggregate our audience across the world, I don't think that either of us would be doing what it is that we're doing now. That's for sure. So that, I think, created the space of opportunity. Mm -hmm. Second, I think, you know, there is a certain kind of social inflection point that we're seeing at this moment, which, you know, in America, I describe, you know, as the rebound equality. Okay. Right. And so this is a phenomenon that's unique to America, right? So you'll have to let me know kind of you see this in Europe. A little bit. But, you know, I was a child of a baby boomer, right? So this is the children of the people that came back from World War II, right? Mm -hmm. It was an unprecedented time of upward mobility and affluence in America. Uh, and the baby boomers enjoyed that affluence in consumerism. Yeah. So in globalization. And so it was all about consuming more. Yeah of a lower quality, mm -hmm. right, but just more. Yeah. Uh, and it was excessive, right? I mean, it was so... Well, for us, the European, it's still very excessive yeah. in the USA, but that's another story. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what I think is unique in America, is that it was, um, you know, you compare the American consumerism and those values of just more of a lower quality mm -hmm. to the historic values and virtues of Europe, which was conservation, exactly. right? Uh, and that you can only afford to buy what you can buy, but you have to take care of it yes. because it has to last you and you can't, exactly. you can only own one nice pair of shoes, so you mm -hmm. take care of it, or one nice sweater and you take care of it. You know, so we grew up, my generation, you know, with these parents that like didn't teach us anything. I mean, I didn't learn how to dress for my father. No, nope, I didn't learn how to take care of things. from. If it didn't look good, he'd throw it away and buy another one. Yep. Um, and so I feel like you, we came of age and found a void of meaning, yeah. right? And so the rebound, the quality, as I describe it, is this search for meaning, which is that, you know, we don't have the same degree of affluence as our parents did. Of course. And so we are going to seek out uh, fewer things, mm -hmm. but of a higher quality. Yeah. Uh, and in that, it took us back to these, our roots, these old world virtues yes. of conservation, which is at its fundamental what it is. You understand that conservation and these adjectives conservative is almost an insult in France in the political world, <laughs> but I don't know, that's another story. But uh, this well, it's is probably the, here as well, you know? Yeah, it's, it's very odd. Yeah. You know that uh, you, you. Well, in yeah. some ways, it's countercultural. Yes. Right? So someone that's dressing up yeah. as ourselves, yeah. you know, in media, a white shirt, a tie, yeah. Yeah. a pair of leather dress shoes, a suit, and I do this most days. There's no question that it's countercultural. Yeah. And this is what the internet has allowed mm. is men like us and women, right? Who share a countercultural viewpoint of yes. the world 
to find community mm-hmm. and to connect with one another. And that's yeah. what the internet has allowed. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things that the internet has further allowed, not to lament on this point, uh, is for people like us, right, and other people out there, to reveal this incredible, yeah. this magical world yeah. of quality, craftsmanship, and tradition yeah. to people who would have never come across it because their parents, mm. because they didn't inherit it yeah. from their parents. Mm. That's very interesting. May I add something? Uh, well, as usual, ladies and gentlemen, you, you see no paper here, uh, just a glass of, yeah, uh, I might whiskey. need, a, you know, I might and need then, another uh, pour of the bourbon. I'm going to yeah. ask uh, Kirby to relight my cigar because yeah. I don't, I'm not a professional of cigars. Let's take a quick okay. break because I need to yeah. grab some Willet for me. That's okay. okay. Well, and um, uh, We still uh, have um, 20 minutes and we're good. I agree with you, Kirby. May I add my explanation of that? Please. This, what you call quality, Forgive me for not asking. quality yes. rebound. It's, uh, you know, I'm French. We like to... Uh, Put a little bit of philosophy. philosophical. Yes, a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, let's say Everything you said is perfectly right. But my conviction mm-hmm. is that and today, like that since I would say, I would say a solid five years, we are witnessing something that we never witnessed. We receive hundreds of messages just like you from people from all around the world young people in their 20s or even younger. We receive sometimes people from 15, 16 yeah. years. Or older, people yeah. in their 50s. Or, or from in their 70s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, is, this is crazy. It's never and too late. they say something that really, really make me think is that um, we want to rediscover the weight, W-E-I-G-H-T, I'm sorry mm. for my accent, uh, of time. Yeah. We want to rediscover the pleasure of waiting, and more important than that, I think that the basic instinct as a human being is... You meant wait, W-A-I-T. Wait, the wait, the wait, yeah. And so I think that this young generation, for the first time, they rediscover the fact that maybe they can buy something that will survive them. Yes. We become, it's becoming very anthropological to speak about that, is that what if it was a way to fight against our own mortality? I know I'm going very far, but if you really deep dive into this, it's a, it's a real instinct for every human being to have something which is Legacy. larger, larger yeah. than life. Yeah. Literally. This suit has been made by Chief Anneli for me and only for me. This suit has been made by Terry Hayes. No, John John Kent. Sorry, John Kent. For you and only only for you. If you maintain it properly with a good good hangers from the Hanger Project. I mean Kirby Kirby Allison now. uh, And if your son may have roughly the same size as you, and even if you don't, there's sufficiency of 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 fabric allowance inside. Mm -hmm. You may give it to your son, and he may even give it to his son. This is something that the kids who are discovering our world are totally in awe with. They say, yeah. what? Well, that's meaning, right? This is possible? I mean, I remember, you know, my grandfather, who was an incredible influence in my life, you know, he passed away, unfortunately, 
you know, uh, you know, too young. I'm 65, but I wish he was still here. But whenever he passed away, you know, I remember the children kind of going into his closet yes. to try to find something. Yes. And I found a pair of Bruno Mali crocodile Oxfords. Oh, wow. That, you know, by the grace of the Lord, fit perfectly. Oh, wow. And so I still have those. And, okay. you know, I have his Rolex that he gave me. Uh, and, you know, the meaning, right? This is what I go back to, which is the search for meaning. Yeah. Right? And there's, it's so multidimensional, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, inheriting something from your father or grandfather yeah. gives whatever it is at whatever quality. It could be anything. Yes. Right? It could be a pair of flip-flops, right? Doesn't matter, yeah. right? That gives that object meaning. And what I like about bespoke, and this is uh, one of the great virtues of bespoke, right? Not bespoke, but things that are well-made. Yes. Is its durability. Yes. Right? And that is what allows these items, when cared for properly, mm -hmm. to outlive one of us. Of course. Right? To of be course. passed on. But you understand, this is a concept. Yeah. For the young generation buying something that will outlive them, this is something totally paradoxically is totally new and this is why we have this an army of young guys who just understand and on the other side few years before i don't yeah. know if it's the same in america 10 years ago people were looking at us as ah these sotroyalists they're just like you know idealist people mm -hmm. full of money spending all their time speaking about ties and going into forum and fight for hours on the width of a, of a yeah, tie on yeah. this kind of thing. Your lapel. And, yeah, 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 yeah. But it changed recently. Because, mm. for example, in France now, we are going like that. Why? Because we start to check all the squares, ecologically yeah. speaking. Yeah. Yeah, this is a big deal in Europe. This is ecology. what's really interesting, I have to say, yeah. is the, the social conservation, yes. right? Yes. So we talk about, you know, labor laws and yes. about, um, I mean, I can't think of all of the, you know, kind of the, the, the words, but, um, you know, of uh, just social thoughtfulness. Yes. Right? Of instead of buying something yeah. that's anonymous, that could be made in a sweatshop by children, you know, in being, Bangladesh. you know, wherever. Yeah. Um, knowing who made it for you and yes. that it was made ethically. Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, and and that, close to you. And close to you. Yeah. By someone you know, yes. that you visited, yes. that you have a relationship with, exactly, uh, and then it's got this incredible durability to it that allows something to only develop more meaning. Right? Exactly, and if you add to that the fact that the pollution, which is implied by the fast fashion, mm -hmm. we, we rarely talk about that, but this is it is absolutely dramatic. Well, I think well, it's an important people, topic. Yeah, it's an enormous... I remember Pierre Cortet, you know, the famous shoemaker yeah. from France, saying to me, there's too much clothes in the world. Yeah. You know, with this Zara, and uh, I have nothing against these companies, but they create a collection every two weeks, yes. literally, and there's too many clothes. So, ecology, we check the box. Oh, and the people from the mainstream media said, ah, oh, maybe those people are not so illuminated that they we suppose they were yeah. you know and then we check the box also about um, you know localization local business mm -hmm. we were among the first to check these boxes go to a tailor go even to MTM shop but around the corner you yeah. don't have to go that far for that yeah. and then little by little we almost <laughs> well I don't want to say totally because that will be exaggerating but we are not mainstream but we are we are counterculture, but it has become established. Yeah. And in the last six months in France, 
we can say with Sonia, we, we made the front page of the biggest newspaper in France. Uh, for the weekend edition, Le Figaro, we were in Paris Match, which is like the magazine of mm -hmm. the people yeah. uh, since, you know, 50 years. We had the last, um, the last page of Paris Match. And then after we were on France Inter, that's France Inter, uh, it's, uh, I would say six million auditors per day. Yeah. Uh, and then we were on uh, national TV uh, one month ago in front of one million people. So it means, Kirby, that our subject is not mainstream, but it's going up, and we are very, very happy, and I would say I'm almost proud of what we achieve. Kirby, um, there's a mystery about you for me. <laughs> well, I can understand that you as an American, you're more attracted to the English cut, let's say, yeah. globally in the English, because for many reasons, because the tailors from Savage World, they travel to the yeah. USA since the language, decades. The language, the culture, of course, yeah. of course. But, um, you, you don't go too much into Italian and French that we cover. So it's, well, together we cover a lot, even if there's a lot of other countries that are more and more interesting. Uh, Poland, uh, Slovakia, Japan. Germany, India. There's a lot of, yeah. of places like that. But when we see your shows, they are very well made. I must congratulate yeah, you about you. that. In London, you look like... You're local almost. You know, everybody knows you. You, you. you really deep dive into this community. So how, how did you do that to be accepted? Because I know the tailors in Savile Row. I've been, well, in good relationship with John Hitchcock and yeah. some big names like that. And yeah. they're not easy people to start yeah. with. So why, why are you so attached to London? And, and I don't know. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with this community, because it is a small community yeah. in London. Yeah. You know, that's a, gosh, that's a difficult question to answer. Um, I mean, I think that, you know, it is in many ways just kind of a product of the opportunity. Okay. Right. And that I was traveling to London most frequently. Mm -hmm. um, I had a dear close mentor of mine that kind of helped me make some introductions, which are so important. Of course, um, specifically I, in this kind of community. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, I think one of the big decisions we made early on is we don't do negative content, right? And I think that, you know, especially amongst these heritage brands, they're very, very careful mm -hmm. and, um, and safe about who it is that they film content with because, you know, you have one internet blogger that comes, right? He has no idea what he's talking about and he flames you for the of wrong course. reasons. Um, and that can, unfortunately, you know, really compromise someone's livelihood, right? And I, I take a tremendous responsibility uh, in what we do in that we don't do negative content because who am I hmm. to jeopardize someone else's, yeah, that's you know, the same thing legacy with, so yeah, and yeah, ability yeah, to, yeah, to earn I a agree living? With you. So we have people all the time that reach out to us and we just simply won't film with if we can't do something that we think, you know, really honors them, mm -hmm. right? Um and then I would just say that, you know, it just was a slow progression, really. And uh, they, they adopted you, literally, yeah. right? Well, I think that um, they saw that we honored them, mm -hmm. right? And that we took care of their heritage, yes. which is incredibly important. I think that they saw the value of our audience and, like, yes. you know, our, what we were able to do for them. Of course. Um, I mean, in some ways, it's kind of transactional in that way. Mm -hmm. um, and it was uh, a lot of time. I mean, the amount of time that I've spent in London is significant, mm. right? I mean, I can't count the number of trips. Well, I can see. You know, I can the, see. I know how it, what know, it takes to the, do it. You know, the hundreds of thousands of dollars that we've spent on this footage. 
but ultimately, at the end of the day, I think that it is uh, married with a profound appreciation mm. for what it is that they do. Mm. And just like you, yeah. we want these people to survive. Yes. And oh you know, gosh, there's yes. no question that you know there have been many a moments where, for a lot of these heritage firms, you know that had was questionable. Well, right? I, I, well, I can go further than you, Kirby. We, I said on national TV recently that we can say in eyes in the eyes that we probably saved a hundred ateliers just by ourselves, and maybe you all. So we can. I mean, save. Let yeah. me document this word. I don't say we are the savior yeah. of no. But we gave them, even to Chief Onelli, I told you this story when we were preparing this uh, show. I mean, preparing, you know, because we could talk for hours together. But Lorenzo Chief Onelli in the 1990s, he was telling me that he didn't see his future. Yeah. And then the internet arrived, and then people like us arrived, and now he can't even fulfill the orders. Mm -hmm. He has too much work. Yeah. So it means that, I mean, it's, it's not to sing our praises about that, but... This is something that has value for me. So many people ask me, why do you do all this? Why do you, you know, I, I had a very established life before. Well, precisely because I think these people deserve. They need a hand. Mm -hmm. They don't have any, you know, a, a, even a famous tailor didn't have the mean to have a double spread page in a print magazine yeah. for $100,000. Yeah. That's only the big groups could have. So yeah. what did we do? We gave a share of voice yeah. to people who mm -hmm. couldn't afford a share of voice, yeah. and we revived that. So now, I want to ask you a couple of fun questions. Okay. First of all, uh, putting me on the spot here. I would love after a few drinks of whiskey. Yes, and a nice I would love to see you in an Italian suit one day. Yeah. Do you have one or zero? You know, so I've got uh, one Italian suit. Yes. That I uh, must say no longer fits. <laughs> ah, because was, you were thinner. Or you know, you it were... was such a long time ago. Okay. Um, but I have to say, I mean, you know, as I look to the future of the channel, one of the things that we'd like to explore more yeah. is Italian okay. tailoring. Mm -hmm. This idea of quality craftsmanship and tradition. I mean, the Italians have such a different approach uh, than the British, mm. and I think it would be fun to, um, you know, to kind of do a proper series yeah. exploring that. I mean, you've done. I mean. You know, you've done so much. I mean, if anyone well, we wrote a book on it. Well, I mean, you, you know, and I have to say, I have a, a, a profound respect for you and the fact that you have written books. I mean, I, okay, thank you. You know, I'm, I, I, I choose video because, uh, you know, I, I'm not uh, an accomplished writer like mm -hmm. you are, um, and I think to, I really admire people that like yourself that have written books because there's a certain permanence to it. Yes, that doesn't exactly exist on YouTube. Yeah, um, and and on top of that, it's uh, hard work and very little money. Yeah, books. Well, I feel like YouTube's the same. Yes, <laughs> actually, this is the same. Well, but I, actually, well, we, we we are we are with with Sonia. We are because everybody says your book. It's actually we 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 write the books together. Yeah, and on the last book, shoes. We have at last both our name. It was so unfair because Sonia has been writing, I would say, almost half of the Italian gentleman. <laughs> yeah. And without her, I will not be done. So I have a proposal for you. Let's, let's not take, well, it's not an engagement. It's not something yeah. that we got, but it would be fun if I would guide you in the streets of Napoli and we co-produce a show on that. And you will guide me in your favorite addresses in London. Uh, that would be fun. That would be a pleasure. No? I think it would be great. I, mean, I love this idea. I mean, Napoli is 
uh, you have to have the keys of the city, otherwise no, you're going to lose yourself. Well, that's, I mean, I think what's true uh, in, all of, um, in all of this world, and it's one of the things that we've done through our channels, is mm -hmm. to share these keys yeah. to other people. I mean, yeah. we just finished an incredible series on Terry Haste and John Kent. I mm -hmm. mean, I'm wearing one of the suits here. Yeah. I mean, you know, they were one of the best kept secrets in all of London. Yes. I mean, they were, I described them as the lowest common denominator amongst the well-dressed. It's one, mm -hmm. the one thing they, you know, all the well-dressed shared in common is that they were having John Kent and Terry Haste make their suits. Yes. Um, we filmed this incredible series that is, you know, probably netted them millions of views. Yes. Right. And one of the interesting things I think is an important point to make is that you think in a traditional advertising world, they speak in terms of impressions. Yes. Right. So an impression is just someone saw something. Yeah. Right. But as you know, right, uh, on YouTube, a view is completely different it is. than an impression, right? Yeah. So uh, a view is someone that, for our channel, on average, has watched. It's okay. It'll help keep the moths away. Yeah. You, know, you rub, it, what, I, you I rub was, it into the fabric. It only makes it better. I was taught by a very... I'm not a cigar professional. I was taught you never have to do this. You have to let the ash going down. So this is what I did. I hope I still have a pair of trousers right now. I <laughs> mean, I as long as you on. don't burn a hole in anything, you're yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm sorry for that. So, uh, yeah, um, you were talking about um, uh, Mr. Kent, right? Yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, the average you know, view on our channel is 12 to 14 minutes. Yeah. So that's millions of people yeah. that have watched 12 to 14 minutes on average, mm -hmm. right, of them talk about themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And this is one of the things that I that I constantly recenter myself on is that I'm not an expert. You know, my my channel is not me talking about the history of everything and nope. how to do something. I same here. I do not consider myself an expert. Don't take my advice, right? What I am simply uh, really is a host, mm -hmm. right? As a as a platform for people to speak about themselves. Yes. And this is what's incredible about video yes. versus the written word. Mm -hmm. Because uh, in the written word, right, journalism traditionally, yep. you are relying on someone else to be able to interpret and articulate what it is that you're trying to say. Yeah, that's very and true. And too often they get that wrong. Yeah. You don't, right, because mm -hmm. you come from this world. And that's what makes your books, you know, so timeless and yes. so incredible. Yeah. But there's a lot of people uh, in, 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 in fashion press or just mm -hmm. in the press in general yeah. uh, that don't truly understand what it is that rests at the heart yes, of this but, craft. Yes, uh, but there's a reason for that. And uh, the reason for that is very simple. When we were uh, asked by Thames and Hudson, we have the luck to be published by the biggest name in the world, Thames and Hudson in England and Rizzoli in the USA. So yeah, big right. publishers. Congratulations to you. Yeah. Yes. Um, we were asked uh, to do a book on Italian gentlemen, so the Italian style. And you know how I would say 90% of the books of this kind are made today. Mm -hmm. You send a photographer or you ask the people to send us yeah. photography. Yeah. You go on the internet, you grab a few uh, Wikipedia. Yeah. Okay, you give a few phone calls and then you, you put together a book. I could have done this. I was already an expert. I mean, an expert, a connoisseur of the Italian scene. I could have done this in two months. Yeah. We decided with Sonia, he said, we are talking about bespoke. We're talking about traditions. We're talking about quality. We can't do that. Yeah. So we said, we're going to go in Italy yeah. and live in Italy. Yeah. And we thought it will take us six months. It finished by taking us three years. Yeah. 
we stayed in Italy for three years. We visited probably more so than jealous. 100 ateliers. So jealous. Yeah. And we did it, of course, I'm not comparing myself to Ernest Hemingway or these people, but these people back in the years, this is what they were doing. They were immersing themselves mm -hmm. in the subject. And we've seen things, Kirby, you have, it's not even, oh. I can't even magic. tell. Yeah. We saw some from the richest places with marble everywhere to the most nasty underground in which some pieces of arts were yeah. crafted. Yeah, that's so that's why I think that our work is, well, I mean, I hope people feel its sincerity, but it took us three years to travel from Bologna to Milano to Napoli to Rome to everywhere in, in yeah. Italy to really try to understand this very difficult thing to explain, which is yeah. the Italian style yeah. and the Italian soul, because yeah. this is very, yeah. very specific. But and just uh, to put, yeah. put, to put a little yes, dot on that eye, of course, is in addition to all that, the relationships oh. that you had to build yes. in order to even be allowed in. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Which is so important. Right. Mm. And that's so much a part of the work that you do. Yes. And I feel like the work that, that we do in a much smaller way uh, is building those relationships of trust for these artisans, Absolutely. these craftspeople to allow you in. Yeah. To, um, and tell you the truth. Tell you the truth. And yeah. to tell you the story. And I, yeah. I joke in Italy more than any other country that I've experienced. So let's you've say, got the front room, yeah. you've got the back room, <laughs> and then you've got the back, back, back room, yes. right? Which is and, normally underground. And then that yeah. you are only invited into yeah. after they know you yeah. and that they like you. Yes. And that most importantly, yeah. that they trust you. Yes. And more importantly, that you love the cuisine of the mother. Yeah. Because in Italian <laughs> families, this is the most important. You have to... It is a big problem. If we do... Oh, let's say, yeah, let's put this in the plan. Maybe we, we, we are crafty uh, people. Great, we, can yeah. do, we can do a Napoli tour. We need a walking tour. The thing is that you have to bring with you your, most, your loosest suit. Yeah. Because if we do this, we're going to be invited at the table of each tailor. And believe me, when you are invited at some tailor's house in Italy, good luck. That's the highest honor, right? Well, it's the highest honor, but it's... Uh, the, the, the best we did, the longest we did, was 13 courses. You understand what it means? Yeah. You're double-breasted, become a little bit uh, difficult, and then finished with a single-breasted, <laughs> and then you just go out and you open your jacket, and you, you make open your... Open your trousers. <laughs> yes, you open your jacket, and you make your followers believe that yeah. it's cool to wear your double-breasted yeah, suit, suit open. open. It's just because I've been eating too yeah. much. <laughs> you know, that's the point. So that's, let's do this project. I don't know when people, we are doing this in front of you. We, yeah. we didn't prepare that, but let's try, let's say in 2023 or 2024, we take you in the streets of Napoli, you take us in the streets of London, and we have fun together. Yeah. Is that a plan? I think that... If anyone from Netflix is watching, there's your series right there. So yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not sure about Netflix because I've heard they ask, um, um, they give you a little budget and a lot of. Uh, and I'm just kidding. But well, why not? But there will be. I mean, I like this this notion of initiatic journey, yeah. you know, initiation journey, and yeah. and 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 it's a it's a it's, it's a, a journey of discovery. Thing. Yes, right. That's what it's about. Exactly. Right. Okay. Last question. Uh, 
Where is Kirby Allison the brand going? Uh, what's your? Do you have? I, I know you have multiple projects yeah. on, on your plate. Is there one or two projects you want to disclose to us? Well, I think it's an interesting question. I'd like to say that I'm, you know, kind of that deliberate about things. I mean, so much of what what I do, you know, kind of evolves organically. Yeah. You know, we just finished our suit to shoot series, mm -hmm. which was a 13 part series following the creation of a bespoke shooting garment. Yeah from the fabric mill, from Levitt Mill weaving the fabric, to mm. Henry Poole constructing the suit, yep. to us actually going to a um, Craig's Anchor House in Scotland and yep. going shooting in this suit. Mm -hmm. and um, With a piece of specific for the shooting. Yeah, I mean, it, the garment was specifically made for this purpose, yes. right? And it's one thing to have a garment made. It's another thing to see that garment living in the environment in which it was designed to exist, mm -hmm. right? Because, you know, at the, at the root, Uh, or at the core of all bespoke tailoring is a pragmatic purpose, yes. right? Um, that's on YouTube. It was, uh, I think, probably one of my greatest accomplishments of 2022. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, we just finished filming and are in the process of editing a series on the Goodwood Revival, which okay. is the greatest vintage car race in the world. Oh, wow. Uh, and we followed a, um, an individual who uh, owns DK Engineering, James Cunningham, who um, is the largest restorer of vintage Ferraris and races oh, wow. at the Goodwood Revival. Okay. And we followed kind of his journey having Henry Poole, Simon Cundy, make him a suit, mm -hmm. right? His car being tuned and prepped to go race, and then him at this race. And so, you know, uh, up to this point, so much of what we have done is just independent, very linear pieces, right? Yes. And as I look to the future, I really want to kind of follow and pursue these stories where there's a true narrative arc. Okay. Um, so, you know, we'd like to do more of that. I mean, it's this discovery of the world of quality craftsmanship and tradition that I love. Yeah. And it exists everywhere. We've focused, as you've said, so much on England. Yeah. I'd like to see ourselves do more outside yeah. of England. We have a project together. In France and yeah. in Italy. Yes. Um, and that's, I think, from a, a YouTube perspective, what we would like to do. Um, There's no question. I mean, as you know, video production is expensive. It is. Um, you know, people don't realize no. what it takes. But uh, well, I mean, we, we've got seventy thousand dollars of equipment just here filming us, yes. right? Yes. Yes. Um, I hope we look good. Yeah. I mean, 4K <laughs> for your viewing pleasure. Yeah. Um, and then just the cost of these trips is expensive, and so that for us is really monetized through. KirbyAllison.com. Yeah. Right. So anyone that's watching that wants to support our content, go visit KirbyAllison.com. Yeah, We've yeah, got great yeah. ties, pocket squares, course, everything else. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as I look to KirbyAllison.com, I'd like to see ourselves, you know, I mean, not to steal from Ralph Lauren, but to really kind of develop in that way where we do more products that are uh, branded, mm -hmm. uh, that are unique to us, um, and that allow us to you know, go and discover this incredible quality, but then offer it to people on a larger platform. Excellent. So thank you, Kirby, for... It's a very strange situation for me because I, I, I was about to say I'm hosting a show, but I'm, I have a guest, but I'm interviewing the guest at his own place. Yeah, so yeah, right. you, uh, you're the host and the guest at the same, yeah, the same time. time yeah. But it was a blast to speak with you. It's been too long. We know each other since a little bit more the than beginning. 12 years. Yes, yeah. since the beginning of the Hunger yeah. Project. And uh, I'm so happy that to a decade after, we still have a lot of projects in our heads. And, but more importantly, I think 
Uh, it's not about my little person or your person or other person, but I think we are a little group of people. Um, I must say that uh, before doing this, we all have the same question. You know, what yeah. I'm going to do in life? What, which trace I want to leave behind me? What, what is my, my, you know, what, what I'm going to give to my children, not in terms of money, but in terms of heritage? Yeah. What did I Legacy. leave behind me, yeah. you know? And I, I must say that um, I'm, I'm very lucky and you are very lucky to we found our way and we're happy that uh, we together with a few other friends, we've been able to advocate mm -hmm. for the thing which is the most under underrated value in the world, which is beauty. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, beauty is not something on the side. We live in a world which is so serious. Everything has to be concrete. Everything has to be immediate. Everything has to be serious. Everything has to be almost scary. You have to be concerned about your retirement, about this, about that. And, and us, what we try to advocate for, of course, those things are important, but there's a form of transcendence in which uh, you can't live without a form of transcendence. Well, me, I'm a Christian. I believe you are too a mm -hmm. Christian. So we have a form of transcendence from our education and our faith. But also as, let's say, humans, uh, I think that what we do is to give to the people another possibility of transcendence. Yeah. That is to say, it's not always about how to pay the bills, how to pay the rent, how to work more, how to be successful, blah, blah. No add a little bit of beauty in your life. Mm -hmm. It can be through art, it can be through music, and it can be also through classic style, yeah. because we strongly believe that there is an enormous possibilities and an enormous potential still open in front of us, and specifically for the young generation. Last word, we spoke a lot about bespoke. Some people will say, okay, those two gentlemen, they uh, smoke expensive cigar. I have no idea of the price of this cigar. I'm not a cigar person. They drink uh, good whiskey They're in a beautiful room. But I want to remember, I want to uh, um, tell you again that it is not only for people mm. who had a lot of money. I'm coming from nowhere. I'm coming from the middle class in France. Yeah. I was born in Paris, but I was raised outside of Paris. My mom has been raised in the farm. It was a difficult life. Yeah. My dad uh, was raised in a family that were all woodworkers, artisans. Mm -hmm. My grandfather was a cordvainer, a cobbler. Yeah. Amazing. And so, so I just got a blue collar worker, literally. Yeah. So I come literally from nowhere. And as far as I know, you were a penniless college boy yeah. when you started this adventure. Yeah. You see? So it means that I don't say that you don't believe in your dream and all that. No, no. I just say that it is possible to embrace this way of life no matter who you are. So follow Kirby Allison on YouTube. Check his website for the best shoe care product in the world, for sure, because they're French. So they can be anything <laughs> but the best. Fantastic ties, beautiful pocket squares, and of course, hangers. hangers. I have a lot of Kirby Allison hangers in my closet, a lot of them. Actually, I must, I may miss a few, but we're going to speak yeah, afterwards. That's because your wardrobe's yeah. grown so much. Exactly. And so thank you, Kirby, for having us. It was a blast to see you. And now we have a project maybe for this year or next year. Deal? It's on the books. Cheers, my friend. Yeah. Hugo, thank you. Cheers. Cheers, everybody. Quality craftsmanship yeah. and tradition. Bye-bye. Thank you.